Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor at Northwood right here in North Charleston, South Carolina. And I am so thankful that you are taking the time today to listen to this message. And I do hope and pray that what you are about to hear encourages you, blesses you, helps you to understand the word of God better, and most importantly, reminds you of how much the God of all creation loves you. I think today's message is going to be a blessing to you. So thank you for listening. And if you're in the North Charleston area, we would love to have you on our campus any Sunday morning at either 9.30 or 11 o'clock. If you're not in the North Charleston area, you can always find us on the web, northwoodbaptist.com. You can visit our YouTube page. You can visit our Facebook page. You can live stream us every Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11. We would love for you to be our guest, either on campus or online. So you're welcome to join us anytime you'd like. We'd love to have you. I do hope that today's message is a blessing and encouragement to you. And I hope that today's message helps you connect faith to life. We're in Luke chapter 6 this morning. Uh, probably some very familiar verses to you. Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 42. We'll be studying together this morning. Luke 6, 37 to 42. If you're new to Northwood, maybe it's your first or second time joining us. Uh, we've been uh, journeying through the gospel of Luke uh, since December. What we like to do here at Northwood, we like to take books of the Bible just one by one and walk through them because we believe that God speaks to us through his word. And so we study his word. And so we're in Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 42 this morning. If you're new to the Bible, Luke is not difficult to find. If you'll find your New Testament and find the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Luke is the third gospel in your New Testament. If you did not bring a Bible this morning, that's okay because in the seat before you down in the book rack, you should find a copy of the Bible. Pick that Bible up and find Luke chapter six with us. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you. Read it, learn about the God that loves you and desires a relationship with you. Luke 6, 37 through 42 is where we're gonna spend our time together this morning. Uh, probably many of you know that you know, I have a background in music. I went to school uh, to, to major in music. I thought I was going to be, you know, concert pianist, tour the world, all those kinds of things. And then, and then God changed my direction. That's another story for another day. But when I was in college studying music, I thought I knew my stuff. I mean, I was winning some piano competitions here and there. I was, I was kind of the, the big man on campus in the music department. I was doing pretty well. And, and so, so there was a musical that was taking place on our campus. And it was one of the few musicals I, I, I wasn't playing for. I was usually, usually in the orchestra pit playing for the different musicals and those kinds of things. And, but this one I wasn't. And so, so I, I wanted to go to the musical and I, and I took a young lady with me to this musical uh, that I was trying to impress, right? And so we, we went to this musical together. I forget which musical it was, one of these Broadway show kind of things that our, that our university was putting on. And, and so we sat up in the balcony and, and we, we were there and we, we watched the first act together. And, and at the end of the first act, um, I started evaluating. I wanted her to know how much I knew about music. And so I started pointing out the things that, that were going well in the musical performance and also the things that were going bad. And so I, I made sure to tell her who was not on pitch, who was singing off key. I made sure that she knew who in the orchestra pit was playing the wrong notes. And, and I went on and on and on about all the mistakes they were making. I was talking about how the, I literally said something like this, that the, that the band sounds like a, a, you know, a middle school band. And I was just going off and on on and on about how bad this was. And, and so as I was in this conversation, I, I, I glanced behind me for just a second. And it's when I glanced behind me, I saw that sitting in the seat right behind me was the Dean of the music department. 
Yeah. How you doing? I have never been so embarrassed and, and, and rightly so. Uh, but, but that's just a reminder, right? That, that for me, it, it, is, it is very easy and, and still to this day, very easy to criticize. Some of you in this room, you are, uh, come on, let's be honest. You're experts at criticism. You do a pretty good job of it, right? And, and you know the difference. There, 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 is, there is such a thing as negative criticism. Uh, where, where it's just kind of the aim of that kind of negative criticism uh, to, to look for faults, to, to point out the flaws, to, to talk about what's wrong. I mean, some of us are really good at that kind of negative criticism. And, and let's be honest, in this room, uh, probably all of us at some point or another, we've given some negative criticism. We're just really good at it. We're really good at, at, at fault finding and talking about what's wrong with everybody and everything. We're, we're pretty good at that. And you've also probably been the recipient, I'm sure, of some negative criticism. And you know, it's not fun. You, you, you know the hurt that comes when someone negatively criticizes you. We are a people that are prone to use criticism in such a way that it's hurtful. And not only hurtful, but we'll talk about it as we move through the text, judgmental. On the flip side, I'm sure that some of you, if not all of us in this room, have been the recipient of some helpful criticism. Somewhere along the way, someone sat down and had a conversation with you and said, hey, here's some things just in love that I wanna help you to work on and gave you some, some helpful coaching or some helpful criticism. You've received some helpful criticism and hopefully as a follower of Jesus along the way, you've given some helpful criticism. You've sat down with a child or a grandchild or a fellow classmate or a coworker and you have, have, have helped that person maybe to see the error of their ways and point them back to the right path. There is a huge difference, is there not, between negative criticism, judgmental criticism, and helpful criticism. And so as followers of Jesus, how do we grow? How do we grow in giving not negative or judgmental criticism, but how do we instead grow in giving helpful criticism and helping people to actually put sin to death and grow in their walk with Jesus? The passage we're looking at this morning, I think is gonna help us to think about that. This is a very familiar passage. And what I wanna do from this familiar passage, I wanna just give you this morning uh, just three steps that I think will help you to give helpful criticism. That next time that you want to offer some words of criticism, I, I want you to take these steps. Three steps I think will help you to give some helpful criticisms. Take your Bibles, Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 42. Go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the reading of God's word together and listen to what the Bible says. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you a good measure. Pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus also told them a parable. Can the blind guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the splinter that is in your eye when you yourself don't see the beam of wood in your eye? Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your eye and then you will see clearly to take out the splinter in your brother's eye. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning, for time to be together in your word. And Father, we are a people who do struggle with criticism. 
uh, we don't tend to give helpful criticism. We tend to give a whole lot of negative, hurtful, and even judgmental criticism. And so, Father, would you help us this morning? Uh, uh, Here we are, your people gathered together, uh, trusting that in these moments, your spirit is going to speak to us. As you speak to us, help us to be a people who listen carefully with hearts that receive your word and obey your word. Father, help us this morning to want to respond to you in faith and then surrender and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. So, so here we are in this room and, and, and probably if we were to take a poll maybe in this room and I were to ask you the question, what's the most famous passage in the Bible? I, I think, and I could be wrong on this. You might want to correct me later, but I think that if I were to take that poll and ask the question, what's the most famous Bible verse? Many of us would probably say John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. I love that verse. I quote it all the time because it's such a powerful verse. I think many of us would say that's probably the most famous Bible verse in the Bible. But if we were to, to, to do a little field trip this morning, we can't do it, but let's, if we were to all load up in the church van this morning, which we couldn't because there's too many of us and the church van doesn't run half the time, but that's another story for another day. But we were to all get in the church van and take a field trip down to downtown Charleston and find that guy who was out partying last night and perhaps had a little too much to drink and found himself sleeping on the park bench on this Sunday morning. And we were to wake him up and we were to say, hey, quote us a passage of scripture. He would say what? Judge not lest ye be judged. And he would quote it from the King James, right? Judge not lest ye be judged. You see inside the church, I think many of us would say John three sixteen. that's the most famous passage of scripture. But our world, the culture that we live in loves this verse, right? Because, because what this world does is that this world uses this verse to do what? Justify. They're sinful lifestyles. Who are you? Don't judge me. And let's be honest, come on now. Some of you in this room love to use this verse to justify your sinful lifestyle. Who are you to judge me? Judge not lest ye be judged. You see what I'm saying? That's, that's kind of the way we treat this verse. But let me just lay it on the table for you as we begin this uh, study of this passage that Jesus did not give us this verse. He did not teach this saying to give us a reason to justify our sinful behavior. That's not why he gives us this verse. And you know this like I do. Jesus is not telling us. I don't have to tell you this, you know this. Jesus is not telling us to never judge. Now, here's the reality, and I don't know if you know this or not, but we as Christians, we need to judge more often. You know what I'm saying? In this world that we live in, some of us have terrible judgment. You lack discernment. You lack knowing what God's word says versus what the world says. You lack the ability to be able to distinguish between what's right and honoring to God and what's sinful. Some of us in this room need to develop better judgment. You see what I'm saying? That when Jesus gives us these words, he's not telling us to never judge. And he's not telling us to use this verse as a a, a way to justify our sinful behavior. What Jesus is after here, and you can probably guess what he's after. What Jesus is after in this teaching, he's after our hearts. You follow? What Jesus is warning us against in this passage is he's warning us against a judgmental heart. That's different. 
That's different than using judgment. It's one thing to say, this is right and this is wrong. We all need to learn how to do that well. That's different than having a judgmental heart that is always criticizing, finding fault, and always condemning. You see what Jesus says. Now, come on back up to the text. And, and just consider where, where this text falls in Luke's gospel. You were here last Sunday morning. We looked at the previous passage. In the previous passage, Jesus calls us to do what? Love our enemies. Come on, now be honest with me. It's a whole lot more fun to judge our enemies and love our enemies, right? Not only is it more fun sometimes, let's be honest, it's, it's, it's sometimes more pleasurable to judge our enemies than to love our enemies. So right on the heel of Jesus saying in, in Luke's gospel, love your enemies, Luke records that Jesus says, and do not judge because that's what you want to do. When you've been hurt, when I've been hurt, when that enemy has come against us, we wanna get real critical, real fast, real critical in a judgmental kind of way. Look at what he says. Do not judge, you will not be judged. Do not what church? Condemn and you will not be condemned. Here's what kind of characterizes a judgmental heart. A judgmental heart is that kind of heart that not only says that's wrong, but also says, because that's wrong, I'm going to punish you before it. A judgmental heart says this, there is no hope for you that you are deserving and you are gonna receive my wrath and my anger. That's a judgmental condemning heart. Jesus goes on to say what? Do not judge, you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. A judgmental heart condemns and a judgmental heart does what? Doesn't forgive. A judgmental heart holds on to grudges. Jesus is saying, be careful. Because a judge, now watch this, and I know you know this, but let's make sure we understand. A judgmental heart reveals something about you. A judgmental heart reveals what? That there, something doesn't compute in your mind and heart. A judgmental heart reveals that you don't understand the grace that you've been shown. Or worst case scenario, a judgmental heart shows that you haven't experienced grace in your own heart. Because look at what Jesus says. Jesus says, you know, don't judge and don't condemn, forgive. You come down and look what it says in verse 38. Give and it will be given to you a good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. What's Jesus talking about? Give and it will be given to you. Well, instead of judgmentalism, Instead of negative criticism, what do you think Jesus is calling us to give in its place? You know, I don't have to tell you, grace. You understand? And that's what you have received. And there's something that happens in your life when you intentionally make the decision to give grace instead of those negative, critical, judgmental words, what happens? When you intentionally choose to give grace, that grace that you give is a reminder to you of the grace that God has given you. You live in a present reality. Your present reality as a follower of Jesus is that grace right now is overflowing in your lap. That's true of you right now. But as you give away grace, you become more and more aware of the grace that God has given you. Do you see what I'm saying? And so all Jesus is saying in these verses, he's saying, be careful. 
Those critical words that you say that are negative, that are aimed at the person, uh, that, that are hurtful, that are judgmental, that is evidence of something that's going on in your heart. And it could be that what's going on in your heart is that you don't know the grace of God. And that same judgment you give, come on, it's coming for you too. That condemnation you give is coming for you. Know the grace of God. And so, so if you think about it, this is the first step I want you to consider. Before you criticize, check your motivation. Just stop. Before you offer that word of criticism, what is your motivation in doing so? I'll tell you what the motivation typically is. Here, and, and I don't know if you know this or not, but let me just be honest with you. What you and I want to do oftentimes is we want to sit in God's seat. You want to be the judge. And can I just tell you this? God's a good judge and he doesn't need a co-judge. He's doing just fine without you. You follow? But that's what happens, right? That when we look at something and we, we see fault, we don't like. What, what you want, what I want is we want people to live to our standard. You have a standard that you're setting for people. And oftentimes, now watch this, the standard that you set sometimes has nothing to do with God and his word. It has nothing to do with truth. It might be a preference, it might be an opinion, but you set the standard. And if someone doesn't live up to your standard, they're getting your what? Your judgment and your condemnation. And so just stop. If that's the motivation behind your criticism to get people to live up to your standard, that is evidence of a judgmental heart. Now watch this. And judgmental criticism, you know this, judgmental criticism is not the outflow of a loving heart. Jesus has just called us to love our enemies. But when you're speaking words that are, are judgmental and negative and hurtful, that is the outflow, not of a loving heart, but what kind of heart, church? an angry heart, a prideful heart, a judgmental heart, a sinful heart. Or think about this, judgmental criticism is aimed at the person and not the issue. Because here's what happens, right? Because you've been there. You go to work on the morning and you, you tell your kids before you leave the house, you, you've been there, parents. When I get home, I expect for your room to be clean. You ever said that? Every day as a parent, and then you come home. And then you open up the door of the room and it's not only not clean, it's worse than when you left. And then in, in that moment, in that moment of frustration and anger, you say something like this, right? You are a slob. That's aimed at the person. And you've experienced that, some of you. Maybe it was a parent, a teacher, a boss, someone that you trusted and loved, they judged you. And they said, you are a, you will never be, you will never make it. Those are judgmental kinds of words that aren't aimed at, at, at figuring out a solution to the problem. They're aimed at the person, to put the person down, to criticize the person. And, and let's be honest, honest, some of us have gotten really good at that. We've gotten really good at it with our children or even with our spouses. To, 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 to criticize in such a way that we point at the person and say, you are, you are, you are, and you will never aimed at the person. That's judgmentalism. That's what Jesus is after in this passage, addressing our hearts. And what it shows is that you lack grace. And Jesus, now this is so profound to me. Who's giving these words? Jesus. Who is Jesus? He is the one who is the judge. 
the judge of all creation is on the earth talking to his disciples. And he's saying, instead of giving judgment, give grace. Some of you remember Christmas day, it was a terrible day for me because I was supposed to preach and got rushed to the emergency room because of the kidney stone kind of thing. And, and, and it was bad. So anyway, I don't know, uh, several weeks after that whole episode, uh, I got in the mail, the EOB. You know what the EOB is, don't you? From my insurance company, the explanation of benefits. Oh, that's such an exciting document to open. And so I opened it up and, and was reading down and it was page after page after page of, of stuff that I didn't understand or things I don't remember them doing at the hospital, but I was there for three hours and got a shot of morphine. That was it. But, but, but apparently not. Apparently I was there for like a 45 day stay. I have no idea. But I got to the end and I don't have the best insurance in the world. And, and it said, your provider might charge you $4,000 for three hours and a shot of morphine, $4,000. And so you can imagine like just in that moment, the frustration that began to build up because it, what happened at Christmas time, I, I had just replaced the transmission in my car. That was $4,000. Now another $4,000. I mean, I'm on Dave Ramsey, but Dave Ramsey didn't give me that much money. You understand? And so, 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 I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to freak out and, and then, and then here's what happens, right? I get real critical real fast because the whole system is flawed. Right, middle-aged, honest dads like me working their tail off, we can't catch a break. You know what I'm saying? And like, like I pay my insurance on time. I, I should get some kind of benefit for that. I've paid my insurance for years on years. I've never been in the hospital. And, and this is what I get, a $4,000 charge. I pay all that money and I, get, I have to pay another $4,000. And how can the hospital charge me this much? And I mean, it's, the whole system is broken. It's terrible, right? And you would say, amen. And so, so I, I waited. I waited for the day and I was coming up with a plan station. Now we're talking about it, you know, get that, that detailed itemized bill and just start refuting everything on that bill. So I was making my plan. I couldn't wait for, well, I could wait, but I, I was anticipating the day that that thing would come in the mail and it did. The day came when I went to the mailbox and in, in the mail was that piece of mail that had the hospital name on it. And I, and I could feel, I could feel myself tensing up with that envelope in my hand. And, and, I, and I could feel my heart start racing because I knew it was about to happen. I was gonna see that $4,000 bill and I was gonna have to sit down and make that phone call and start refuting everything on that thing. And I opened it up. I pulled out the piece of paper and this is what it said. Grant money has been applied to your account your account is closed. My account is closed. I don't know how I got grant money. I didn't apply for grant money. I don't know if it was because it was Christmas day. They were just giving out grant money. I have no idea. But it said account paid in full, like gone, done. And, and so I, I showed it to Stacy and Stacy says, you think we should call him? I said, absolutely not, right? I mean, no, no, no. I mean, I mean, they might find out they made kind of some kind of mistake. Just leave it alone. We got the letter that proves that that's enough. Account paid in full. And I can tell you what happened that day. I had bashed that hospital. But on that day, that hospital became my favorite hospital in low country, right? And I tell you that because to tell you this, here's what happens. Grace absolutely changes everything. When you realize that your account has been paid in full, it can't help but change you. 
Not only change your attitude towards God, but to change your attitude towards others as well. And when you've been a recipient of God's amazing grace, that you realize you were once lost, but now you're found because of what Christ has done for you, you're not gonna withhold grace. You're gonna look for opportunities to give grace. And so listen, people who have been changed by grace are not characterized by judgmentalism. They're characterized by grace. Before you criticize, come on, before you criticize, check your motivation. But Jesus isn't done. Look at what he says. Come on, let me show you. We got to move. You come down to to verse 39 and, and Jesus tells a parable. Can the blind guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Now you can probably understand what Jesus is saying. You're blind. And every one of us is blind apart from Jesus Christ. And someone who is blind cannot help the blind. Someone who, who can't see, can't help others see their need. What you need is a teacher. And that's who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who opens our eyes and Jesus trains us. He disciples us by his spirit, if you will, to be able to see so that we can help others to see. And then he comes down and he says this, verse 41. And you have heard these verses before and and you understand the hyperbole that's going on here. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye? Because here's where you and I are, are really good. We're really good at seeing splinters. We're really good at nitpicking. Every little flaw, every little mistake, every little wrong, we're good at picking those things out. But look at what Jesus says. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take out the splinter that is in your eye when you yourself don't see the beam of wood in your eye? You hypocrite. And and, uh, Jesus is really accurate in the way that he describes us. You hypocrite. Don't you know better? You you pick out all the little faults, but there is a beam of wood in your eye that you refuse to see and you refuse to deal with. What is that beam of wood that's in your eye? Well, think about it. The beam that Jesus wants us to deal with is what? Is that beam of judgmentalism? Is that beam of, of that negative criticism that's always looking to put people down instead of helping people? And Jesus says there, this is what you've got to deal with. And so what Jesus is calling us to in these verses, you know this, he's calling us to self-examination. He's not saying, we're gonna see this in a minute. He's not saying, don't help that person to see their own sin. But what he is saying is you need to deal with you first. Before you start pointing out the flaws, uh, and this is just good common sense kind of stuff. I know I'm not telling you anything new, but what he's saying, before you start pointing out the flaws of others, take a good look in the mirror because you got some flaws you got to deal with yourself, right? And so, so here's the deal. Before you criticize, check your motivation. And also before you criticize, look at your own life. Be more concerned with God's standard than your own standard because this is what characterizes, follow me, this is what characterizes a judgmental heart. A judgmental heart says what? You must live up to my standard. I am the judge. And if you fail to live up to my standard, you are going to experience my wrath. When God's word says, no, 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 no. It's not your standard that that you are to call people to live to. And you yourself, you're called to live to God's standard. And we've already talked about God's standard in this sermon that Jesus preaches. God's standard is what? That you depend on him completely. That's the Beatitudes. We struggle with that. God's standard is what? 
that you love your enemies. It's interesting to me that when you read Matthew's account of the sermon that Jesus preaches here, after Jesus says, love your enemies in chapter five, in verse 48, right after he says, love your enemies, you know what Jesus tells the crowd? Be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. How you doing with that one? You see what I'm saying? So, so we, we, we don't depend on God well. We don't love our enemies well. Uh, we're far from perfect and judgmental. Well, we don't live up to God's standard on that either. And so when I think about God's standard, the standard that I'm called to live up to, do you know what I discover? I can't do it very well. What I need, now watch this. Here's what I want you to see. What I need is grace. That same grace that oftentimes I am hard to give to other people, that same grace that I struggle to extend to that person who hurt me, that kind of grace is the same kind of grace that I need in my own life. And Jesus, again, so profound, the judge of the universe standing on the earth, talking to his disciples, he is going to give them all what church? Grace. Because the judge is going to go to a cross and be judged. He's going to experience condemnation. He is going to die the death that we deserve. He is going to take the punishment for for our sins upon himself. And then he is going to rise from the dead three days later as an act of grace to forgive us of all of our sins and to bring us into eternal life with him. Paul's gonna say in Romans 8 verse one, you know this, therefore there is now what church? No condemnation in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he gave grace. He was condemned for you. You see what, what I think Jesus is showing us in the sermon on the plain in Luke's gospel or the sermon on the mount in Matthew's gospel is God has a standard and you can't live up to it. But Jesus has lived up to it for you and has graciously given his life for you so that his righteousness might be applied to your account and all of your sins might be forgiven. Be more concerned with God's standard than your own standard and be more, go back to the previous slide and be more concerned with fixing yourself than fixing others. But there's the problem too. I can't fix myself. I've tried, not doing a good job of it. But there is a God who can. There is a God whose spirit is at work inside of me, growing me, changing me, transforming me. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? It's just so helpful that we all have a tendency to be very negative and critical and judgmental. But Jesus says, wait a minute. No, 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 no. If you're a recipient of God's grace, that's not the way it should be. If you're a recipient of God's grace, you're gonna look inward at yourself and see the sin in your own life and rely on the grace of God far more than you're going to look out and start accusing others. You see what I'm saying? Look inside and deal with it. That's what Jesus is calling us to. Look inside yourself and deal with what you see on the inside before you start looking on the outside. Stacy has been a, a stay-at-home mom ever since the boys were born. So Luke will be 13 this year, which is hard to believe. And so she's been a stay-at-home mom for a while now and, and is a wonderful stay-at-home mom. Uh, but, but if you're a, a mom, right, who's, who, who takes care of a lot of the responsibilities at the house and you have kids, um, one of the things that adds up over time is what? Laundry. Somebody said it. They know, right? I mean, it's like the laundry never goes away. And we've got two boys. Luke's almost 13. And, and 
Come on, I don't have to say anything about that, but that requires lots of clothes changes. And so, 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 so here we are, and, and we've got all these, these boys growing up, and they stink, and they smell bad. They've got to change their clothes, and, and, and you do, Hudson, you stink. And so, so, so you, you, all this stuff going on, and, and so the laundry, it never seems to end. And without fail, what happens from time to time, whether it's on a Monday morning or a Sunday morning when I'm trying to get ready to get up here for work, the question is, Stacy's wearing my socks right? Or where's my shirt? There's something I can't find. Somewhere in, 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 the, in the laundry place are my clothes. And so, so from my perspective, sometimes, right? I mean, just is what it is. Stacy can't get the laundry done fast enough. Oh, I know, right? We bought something to help with that a long time ago, a laundry sorter. And so you, you walk into the laundry room and there's a sorter where you put the whites in one place, the colors in another place and the darks in another place. Do you know who in our house uses that? No one, but Stacy. No one, but Stacy. My boys don't do it. I mean, I'm, I'm a, almost a 45 year old man and I can't sort my clothes. I don't know why. I just can't do it, right? And so, 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 so I am quick to say sometimes, Stacy, where are my clothes? But what I'm slow to do is to actually take responsibility for my part in it. You see what I'm saying? And I'm probably still gonna be slow to that. I'm confessing to you, I need help. And Stacy's probably gonna try to help me. I'm gonna fail again. You know what I'm saying? But, but that's the problem. That's, that's, that takes place in your home, in my home, that we're quick to say, hey, here's the problem. You're the problem. You do this fast or get this done, but we're slow to take responsibility for ourselves. And I, and I think that's what Jesus is getting to here, that we're quick to point out flaws, but we're slow to say, look inward, I'm the problem. And so before you start criticizing, one, check your motivation. Two, take a look at your own life. And finally, check this out. Before you criticize, establish the right goal. Because come back to the text. Look at what it says. Verse 42, how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take, you, take out the splinter that is in your eye when you yourself don't see the beam of wood in your eye? Hypocrite. Now listen, first, take the beam of wood out of your eye and then you will see clearly to take out the splinter in your brother's eye. I think Jesus is making an assumption here. Jesus is making the assumption that you are going to do what? Help people see sin in their lives and help them to overcome it. You see what I'm saying? Jesus isn't telling us not to judge. He's not even telling us not to point out the flaws in others. He's just saying before you do, before you begin helping people to see their own sin, deal with you. Before you begin helping people see their sin, deal with you, your own walk with the Lord. Look in the mirror, stay in God's word, right? I can't help but think of what Paul says in Galatians chapter six. In Galatians six, verse one, Paul says, you who are spiritual, that's me, that's you. When you see someone in sin, gently restore them. There is a biblical responsibility that you and I have to help people see their sin and help them to get back on the right track with Jesus. We have that responsibility. But what Jesus is showing us is you're not gonna do that if your heart's judgmental. You're not gonna do it well. And so you deal with you and then you, once you deal with you, you begin to help others. You see that that seems to be the pattern that Jesus is establishing in these verses. And so before you criticize 
Establish the right goal. What's the goal? When you criticize, right, it is not to be negative. It is not to be hurtful. It is not to be judgmental. We are called to criticize only in a way that is helpful and builds up. Paul says in Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only those words that edify and build up the body of Christ. And so if you're going to use your words to criticize The only way to criticize is with a helpful criticism. And so then the question becomes, as we end our time together, how do you do that? Because we're real good, come on now, we're real good at the negative criticism, the judgmental criticism. How do we grow in being better at the helpful criticism? Well, just a few suggestions. One, repent of judgmental criticism. That's for some of us where we need to start. Because come on, be honest with me. If you think about the words that came out of your mouth last week, the words that came out of your mouth last week might reveal there's a problem in your heart that this morning you need to take care of, that you are way too judgmental. And that's what Jesus is challenging us to this morning is to repent of judgmental ways. So for you this morning, it might be repenting of judgmental criticism. And it's certainly praying for those you disagree with. I mean, just think about it. I I know that's kind of the Sunday school answer to pray for people, but how would that change your attitude towards people if before you opened your mouth and gave that word of criticism, you actually prayed about it? You actually asked God to guard your lips. You actually asked God to help you say things that are edifying and bring him honor. See, what happens is you let your mouth fly without even thinking. And that usually causes a disaster. You, you maybe have, I mean, I've heard people say it. That person, that person over there, man, he just tells it like it is. That person over there, she just tells it like it is. And we hold that up as some kind of compliment. Can I just tell you, that's not a compliment. Telling it like it is, is not a compliment. I don't wanna tell it like it is. I wanna speak God's truth with grace and mercy. And so I'm gonna speak God's truth with grace and mercy. I gotta back up. And I got to think and I got to pray before I open my mouth. And all of us, including myself, we probably speak way too fast and pray far too slowly. You see what I'm saying? So, so repent of judgmental criticism. Pray for those you disagree with. And now watch this. This is a big one. Keep your opinions to yourself. Because here's the reality, and you know this like I do. A lot of things that we criticize over, that judgmentalism that comes out of us in the words that we say, it really oftentimes is just over matters of opinion. I just don't like him because he did this. I don't like her because what she did over here, because he likes this and she likes that. And he believes this over here about politics and I believe that. And and so oftentimes the things we criticize for sometimes aren't even related to the truth of God's word. It's just opinions that we can't keep our mouths shut about. And so for some of us, learning how to use our words well to be helpful in the way that we criticize people, it really is learning how to keep our opinions to ourselves. There's a place to share our opinions for sure, but using your opinions as a platform for you to put people down is sinful. Keep your opinions to yourself or think about this. When rebuke is necessary, do it with love and compassion. In other words, here's what we tend to do. Judgmental hearts are reflected in this kind of way. You statements, you're a slob, you're a failure. You'll never amount to, you'll never be. That's judgmentalism. But grace saturated conversations that strive to be helpful, 
when you're sitting down with someone who you're trying to point back to Jesus, they obviously, obviously don't start with you're a failure. They start with things like this. I've been there too. I'm a sinner as well. Here's what God has done in my life. And I wanna share it with you. I don't know about you, but over the years, when I've had people sit down with me from that perspective, who really do care about my soul and my heart and have conversations with me that say things like, hey, I've struggled with this too. And I just wanna point this out to you. I received that much better than the anonymous email or that hateful speech of why didn't you do it this way? Now, when someone sits down to me and I know cares my soul and says, hey, I've, I've struggled here and I see you're struggling here and I just wanna help you. I receive that. And some of us need to learn how to, to help people identify their sinfulness and disobedience with a posture of grace and compassion and love. We're all in this together. We're all struggling and striving for Christ's likeness together. There, there is really no room within the body of Christ for judgmentalism. And there really is a great need for a lot more compassion and mercy and love. And watch this, give an abundance of grace. Here's reality. I know this, it's gonna happen. And you know this too. It's probably already happened and probably happened a lot. As your pastor, I'm gonna let you down. Give me grace. And as a member of our, our congregation, you're probably gonna let me down too. I'm gonna strive to give you grace because that, that's just reality. We're gonna let each other down because we're fallen sinful people. And that's why grace is needed. And I'm so thankful that, 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 that the, the, the gospels remind us that the judge, the judge of all creation was on his, on his earth that he created. And this great judge had every right in that moment when he preached this sermon, Jesus could have looked out to the crowd and said, you're all gonna drop dead now because of your sin. But he doesn't. The judge gives grace. The judge gives grace. The judge goes to the cross. The judge dies. The judge rises from the dead. The judge gives the gift of life to all who believe. He gives grace. And when you understand how much grace you have been given, when you understand that your account has been paid in full, there's something about knowing that grace and, 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 and letting that grace take root deep down within your soul that causes you to want to give grace. And this morning, as we close our time together, there are some of us in this room that for the first time need to experience the grace of Jesus. That for the first time need to believe that Jesus came for you and died the death that you deserve and rose from the dead to give you the gift of life and forgiveness of your sins. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, today, this moment is the day to do so. I'll be down front. We'd love to talk to you about that. In the corners of this room, there are two crosses. And after we pray together, there are gonna be people at those crosses who are ready to receive you, to pray with you, to help you today begin a relationship with Jesus, the judge who is the king and the savior who wants to invite you into his family. Today, if you turn from your sins and turn to him by faith, today you can begin a relationship with Jesus. And I wanna challenge you this morning, if you've never done so, to give your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you're in this room this morning. If you think back over the last few months, last year, last couple of years, what you see in you is a struggle. You really are way too judgmental. And Jesus this morning is calling you to repent of that. To, 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 to use your criticism to be helpful 
rather than hurtful. And maybe this morning, as we end our time together, the spirit of God right now is at work in your heart, calling you to repent of your judgmental ways. Now we just challenge you this morning as we end our time together to come, confess that to him and ask him to do a work of grace in you today. However, God leads you to respond this morning. You respond as we have a time of invitation. Father, thank you so much for your goodness to us, for your mercy, for your grace. Jesus, I thank you that you are the great judge who has come for us to pronounce us free, innocent, not because we are, but because of what you've done for us on the cross and because you've applied your righteous life to us through your death and resurrection. I thank you that you have not condemned us, but through faith, you have changed us and saved us. And Father, I pray for that person in this room this morning who's never placed his faith or her faith in Jesus. I pray that person will come trusting you as Lord. And Father, I know that in this room this morning, uh, there are those of us in this room who are followers of yours, but we struggle. We struggle with judgmental hearts and we're quick to point out the flaws of others and we're way too slow to deal with our own sinfulness. And so Holy Spirit, would you convict us of that this morning? And Holy Spirit, would you please lead us to repentance this morning, I ask. And so here we are, your people, trusting that in these moments, you are gonna have your way. In the name of Jesus, amen. You rise your feet as a time of invitation together. You come now as the Spirit of God leads you.